Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. 119, 129. Longing for the light. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul observes them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, after your manner with those who love your name. Establish my footsteps in your word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of man, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of water, because they do not keep your law. Our Lord, we know this is your word, and we pray that this hunger and thirst for the word of righteousness that is manifested here will be ours. May it be ours from our conversion until the day that we meet you face to face. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we have to be reminded once more of what is happening here in our passage. We have a righteous man, a redeemed man, David, a man of God who has a renewed heart, who longs for the light of God's word. The words that we have just read are impossible to be announced and pronounced and prayed for an unbelieving man. The unbelieving man, the one who has a stony heart, he does not desire the things of God like this. But the man of God does desire these kinds of things. Those who have been born again are new creatures in Christ. They are newborn infants. And they long for the pure milk of the word that by it they may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Those who are born again, those with a new heart, have a desire for the word of God. That's what we are describing here. There are those, however, who think that we have to separate ourselves and we ought to separate ourselves between us ourselves and the old prophets and the apostles. There are some who think that David could speak this way because he had a special endowment of the Holy Spirit or he lived in a different era. The apostles, they were special because they were following Christ and they had a unique ministry, a ministry and a calling that does not apply to us. However, we can't look at it that way. The Bible expects us, even in regards to the prophets and the apostles, though we do not have their ministry in terms of an official office, in terms of an official role, we do not have their ministry, but we do have their nature. We are humans just like they are humans. And therefore, because we are humans just like they were humans, we ought to pray and desire these same things. This is what James means in James chapter 5. James says in James 5 verse 16, in the middle of the verse he says, The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. James calls on the example of Elijah, not because he was a prophet, but because he was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed for it to rain, 
and he prayed for it not to rain, and God answered his prayers both times. In the same way, we ought to pray, we ought to desire the holiness and righteousness of God, the grace of God to be endowed more and more upon our life that we might live according to the image of Christ. Be new creatures in Christ. Old things passed away, behold, new things have come. This applies to everyone, whether from the time of Adam until the time of the return of Jesus Christ. Whoever lives and knows the gospel should pray this way and desire these things, long for these things, just as David did. David is an example for all of us. Let's see how he prays. Let's see the kind of heart he has in this prayer. Verse 129. Your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul observes them. He starts with the fact that the testimonies or the words of God are wonderful. They are wonderful, as he said earlier in verse 18, 119, verse 18. Deal, uh, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. He knows that God's law, God's words, his testimonies are wonderful. They are filled with miracles. They're filled with supernatural truths. They're filled with all kinds of things that he does not know, that has not experienced before. And he's experiencing now as a believer in Christ. Now, as a, a man with a changed heart, he sees the things in the Word of God with wonder. He's awestruck. He's amazed at who God is, and he's amazed at who he is, and how God has redeemed him and continues to transform him and conform him to the image of Christ. He looks at the Bible like this that they are filled, the Bible's words are filled with wonderful truths, amazing truths. Because they are this way, and because he has already tasted, he has had a foretaste of the glories of God in his conversion, in his eyes being opened, in have him having new desires, new ambitions, he says, therefore, my soul observes them. Therefore, immediately upon conversion, the new soul, the renewed soul, the restored soul, the born-again person begins to observe the word of God. He desires to do this. He longs to do it. He wants to do it. He wants to obey the will of God. Whatever used to please him, whatever used to satisfy him, he wants to jettison. He wants nothing to do with those things anymore. He doesn't want to taste them. He doesn't want to touch them. He doesn't want to go there anymore. He doesn't want to talk that way anymore. He doesn't want anything to do with it. He, he loathes that kind of behavior. And now he wants the wonders of God. He wants the grace of God in his life. Verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. The unfolding of your words. This is an image of the Bible being rolled up in a scroll and unfolded. It's unfolded. In our case, we would simply open our books in which we find the Bible. We would open the Bible... Because when we open the Bible, he says, it gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. He knows that his eyes naturally are darkened. His eyes naturally cannot see. His eyes naturally don't know the way. They are looking and reaching here and there, groping in the dark, trying to find the light switch. 
That's the way we are in our natural condition. And even our old nature as believers, we have an old nature and a new nature. Our old nature is waging war against us and it's full of darkness. It's full of deceit. It's full of dead objects like um, rats and rats that are infested with maggots. That's the way our old nature is. And we don't want that anymore. In fact, what we want is light. We want to go to a good place. We want to be on the right path. Not where all the carcasses are. We want to be on the path of the highway of holiness. To be where the light is so we can know the Lord. Where there is life and godliness. This is what happens when we unfold the Word of God. It gives us light, understanding. Both they give us. So this is what we need. David knows he needs this. He wants this. He longs for it. He acknowledges it. He acknowledges that he is simple. He is simple. That is, he's naive. He does not know. He does not understand. He does not have all of life figured out. He's not the wisest person on the earth. He's not the one who knows everything and everybody should come to him and consult him. He doesn't look at it that way. In regards to anything in life, he looks at himself as an infant, as a small child who does not know the way and who needs to be guided. Otherwise, the child would be lost, would be off the path, does not know about the light, does not know about where to get to the light, does not know any of that. This requires humility. Who will consider himself today a simpleton, simple-minded? In, in regards to the things of God. Who wants to consider himself that way? It's very rare to find anybody who says, I don't know. I read, I want to know, I want to grow, but I don't know. And I have to seek in the Word of God to unfold the Word of God to know. So that I can become, instead of being simple, to being sophisticated, spiritually speaking. Instead of being ignorant, to being informed, spiritually speaking. Instead of being unknowledgeable to becoming knowledgeable. Instead of being a fool, be becoming wise in the things of God. This is what we need. We need this kind of attitude in order for us to open the Bible and say, It gives me light. It gives me understanding. I didn't know that. I want to know that. I want to know the gospel better. I want to see it in the face of Christ better. He longs for it. In verse 131, in this way, I opened my mouth wide and panted, for I longed for your commandments. He opens his wide, uh, mouth wide and he pants. This is like animals do when they are parched. And even we do that as people, and even children do that. When they are starving, when they're hungry, when they are thirsty, children do this, animals do that, and even we do that as adults at times. We're so hung hungry to eat that when we see the food, we cannot wait and we gobble it down. This is the way he looks at the Bible. He looks at the Bible in this way. He opens his mouth wide and he pants for the Bible. He cannot get enough. He's, he can't be satiated enough with the living Word of God, with the light of the Word of God. Nothing will satisfy him. He wants it, he wants it, he wants it. Time and again, day after day, he looks for every opportunity to open up the Bible, every opportunity to read the Bible, every opportunity to study the Bible by himself and with others. He looks for opportunities for this. He longs for it. 
He longs for the commandments of God. He knows that he had a darkened past. He knows that he used to live in worthless and foolish ways. He doesn't want that anymore. He longs to obey God. He doesn't want to obey himself. He wants the Lord to be his master. The only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is what he wants. This is what we ought to want as we model and learn what it means to know God in Christ. Now, these days, there are very few people who will love the Bible like this, who will love the truth of the Word of Christ this way. Very, very few people who will be this way. What we need to understand, however, is that though there are few people who desire the Word this way, we shouldn't think that we are the oddballs or that there is something wrong with us, that we are crazy or insane, that we are not living the life that we should live. We are. It's, the more we get into the Bible, the more we see the, the Bible and the true God of the Bible and the true gospel of Christ in the Bible, the more we do this, the more we understand that we are indeed walking the way we should walk. We are living the way we should live. We are pleasing to God. And God will say to us one day, well done, good and faithful slave. But we should not let the commotion in the world and all of the dissonant voices of the world clamor for our attention. It's easy for us to think that because nobody else is this way, therefore we're doing the wrong. We're not in the right. We're, we're, we are extremists. We're not living the way we should. It's as though we are fanatics and those people are not fanatics. That's not the case. That's not the case at all. In fact, the way God looks at it, those people are the fanatics. They are fanatics for their fun. They are fanatics for their finances. They are the fa fanatics for every kind of earthly pleasure that they can indulge in. They are fanatics in fornication. They are fanatics in all of those things. They are following the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they are blind. They are insane fanatics. They, are, they go giddy after every pleasure that they can pursue with little or no concern, no thought of God, no thought of the gospel of Christ. That's the way they are. We are not the fanatics. In fact, we were like them. We were insane like them. We were foolish like them. But now we are sane. Now we are sober. Now we know what true wisdom is. Now we know that we will, with food and covering, with these we shall be content. Otherwise, we are not chasing dreams. We're not chasing fantasies. We're not trying to have a paradisiacal life right now when we know that that is impossible now. It is for the life to come, not for now. So let's not be discouraged. Continue to long for and to pant for the Word of God. But where is our source? How do we get to be this way? Verses 132, 132 to 135 explain. These originate with God Himself. 132. Turn to me and be gracious to me after your manner with those who love your name. His prayer is for God not to turn away His face from Him as though turning away from the face, this imagery is, if his face is not looking at him, at David, 
his child. If he's not looking and he's looking elsewhere, his attention and concern is not for David, but it's on other things. Not that God could have been distracted in any way. God is never distracted. But metaphorically speaking and anthropomorphically speaking, God is said to turn away when his displeasure is upon us, when his disfavor is upon us. So David says, turn to me and be gracious to me. Keep looking at me. I want to see you face to face. I want your glory. I want your grace. I want your light. I want everything you can give to me to fill me and to guide me. And you do this, Lord. You are known to do this after your manner, after your practice, your custom, with those who love your name. I love your name. I don't love my name. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I love your name. I want you to be exalted. I want you to be glorified. I praise you. I live for your name. I don't live for myself. I live for you. Because of that, I love it. And I know that you behave this way. You do these things with those who love your name. You have done that in the past, before David, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and many others. He showed his favor toward them. Show your favor also toward me. We would pray in the same way. We would say, Lord, you have done it for David. You did it for Elijah, for Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. You did it for Daniel and Hosea. You did it for many others. You did it for the apostles. You sustained them. You sustained the church, the early church in the book of Acts. You did it for them because they loved your name. They were willing to suffer for the sake of the name. So in the same way, be gracious to me. Turn to me. I belong to them. Those ancient saints, I belong to them. I belong to your family. We are all a part of the body of Christ. So be gracious and turn to me. This will also remind us in 132 that we do not live our Christian life alone. Many people like to live their life alone and their Christian life, they justify it wrongly. They justify living their Christian life alone, not with those who love your name. They are loners, they are extreme separatists, and they say that there's no need to come to church or they come to church only occasionally, perhaps once or twice a year, maybe a handful of times a year, maybe a couple of times a month. They don't come to church regularly. Regularly, definition by biblically speaking, is at least once a week. At least once a week. They don't do that because they don't think it's important to have the grace of God endowed upon them with those who love your name. They don't believe in that, therefore they don't do that. This is not the mentality of the true child of God. The true child of God understands it is important and necessary to gather together as the people of God to know the word of God and to worship God. Verse 133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. He wants to be now fixed Squarely in the Word of God. He wants his footsteps never to trip, never to stumble, never to go off into bypaths, never to go off into alleys. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He wants to stay 
on the highway of holiness. He wants to be on that road and he wants to walk in that road and that road alone, not swerving to the right or to the left. So much that he doesn't want any iniquity, any sin to have dominion over him, to have control over his life. He wants to have the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Self-control and all the other virtues he wants to have so that he's not walking aside. He's not straying from the path in every area of his life. He doesn't want any sin to be unrepented of. Any sin to control him and to dominate him. This is a wonderful prayer. A wonderful prayer for him to ask God, don't let any sin control me. This should be our prayer. Don't let any sin control me. The scripture says that the world thinks in the opposite way. It says in 2 Peter 2, 19, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whatever a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. For by whatever a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. They promise freedom. Or as Jude says in Jude 4, that they turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ to tell them what to do, to have dominion over them, to control them, their thoughts, words, and deeds. They don't want that. They, in the name of freedom and in the name of grace, they want to live however they want to live, licentiously. They want to live in sin and even say that their sin does not contradict the Bible. And one can be a Christian and still hold on to this or that sin. That can't be the case. We should not allow any iniquity to have dominion over us. And we cannot make excuses and wrangle about words in order to justify our actions. Our actions, if they contradict the Bible, they are sin. And we should ask God, Lord, do not let any iniquity, any iniquity, have dominion over me. When we do this, it will result in verse 134. Redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. When we take a stand, when we say with complete resolve, I will not say that. I will not do that. I will not go there. And when we say that, inevitably, the people around us will make us their enemies. They, they will start to scornfully look at us. They will mockingly speak to us. They will reject us. They will start to be our enemies. They'll start to slander us. They'll start to backstab us. They'll start to distance themselves from us. This is what he means here when he says, redeem me from the oppression of man that I may keep your precepts. I know that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12 I know that that will happen. When I live godly in Christ Jesus, I will be persecuted. I will have oppression. But don't let me, David says, don't let me be discouraged. Don't let me be double-minded, unstable in all my ways. 
Don't let me say it's not worth it. The Christian life is too hard. Don't let me be overcome by their temptations and by their mockery so that I give up and I compromise and I start to act like them. Or I act like them a little here and a little there. I don't want to be that way. Redeem me from all that oppression. I want to completely be rejecting all of their temptations. Because all I desire is to keep your precepts. I want to obey you. Jesus said, John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If we love Christ, we will keep his commandments. And we will ask God, Lord, don't let any sin have dominion over me. Lord, redeem me from the oppression of man. Lord, I need you to turn to me and be gracious to me. I need you in my life. I don't want to compromise at all. 135. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. This expression, make your face shine upon your servant, is coming from Deuteronomy, uh, excuse me, Numbers, Numbers chapter 6, 24 to 26. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. This expression taken from the ironic blessing of Numbers chapter 6 is in order for the people to be reminded of the fact that all that they need for God's pleasure on them, all that they need for God's pleasant disposition towards them, for God's favorable countenance upon them, is for God to be gracious to them and bless them. That's all that they need. If they have God on their side, then nothing else matters. If they have God on their side, God's grace will be sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. God's power is perfected in our weakness. What we do not have, what light we do not have, what grace we do not have, we get all of this from God Himself. Therefore, pray without ceasing. Pray at all times in the Spirit. We should pray and ask God, God, be gracious to me. Give me your grace day by day. It's not enough for God's grace to save us from sin, which it does. But God's grace also continues to keep us from sin. He saves us from our sin so that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But He also continues to give us that grace to live for Him. Not compromising whatsoever. So that when His favor is upon us, He teaches us. He teaches us His statutes. He teaches us by understanding, by knowledge and understanding what the Bible actually means. But He also teaches us in that He gives us the confidence, He gives us the confidence that when we are obeying Him, we are pleasing to Him and it is worth it. It is worthwhile. It is much better to be in the house of the Lord to be in the tent, or then to be in the tents of wickedness. I would much rather spend days in the house of God than with the wicked. This is what is the prayer of Psalm 84. To be with God and the things of God so that I am confirmed that what I have learned, what God has taught me, is good and right for me. 
Verse 136. My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. To this point, and in many of these prayers in this psalm, one might come to the conclusion that David thinks he is perfect, that he's sinless. No, that's not the case at all. He does not think that about himself. He wants to strive for perfection. He wants perfection. He does not want to love his sin. He wants to reject all of his sin. That's what we saw in verse 133. In this very prayer, in this paragraph, he says, Do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. He doesn't think that he's sinless. He doesn't think he's perfect. Nobody is that way. Not in this world. Nobody is that way. So this teaches us, for one, when he said, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. It teaches us that it is impossible for us in this world to say we are without sin. In 1 John 1, 8 to 10, John teaches us that if we say we have not sinned, or if we say we have no sin, then we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. We can never say, well, I only sin occasionally. I only sin uh, once or twice a year. And I don't sin otherwise. I'm just fine. When people do that, they do it in order to assuage their guilt and assuage their actions so that they take away the sting of their guilt. They take it away so that they convince themselves that they are going to heaven and that their works, not the work of Christ, but their works will grant them access to heaven. No, that's not true. That does not happen. They also do that because they don't want to overcome their sin. In some cases, the people who say, I don't sin, or this and that thing I do is not sin, and don't call me on it, they say that because they don't want to repent of that sin. Therefore, they assign it a category of it being not sin. Therefore, they say they don't sin. However, whatever the Bible calls sin is sin. Not what we devise, but what the Bible explains to be sin, that is sin. So let's not use the excuse, I don't sin, or I rarely sin, when in fact we do sin, and we sin regularly. We sin so regularly, and David sins so regularly, he says in verse 136, My eyes shed streams of water, because they do not keep your law. He means that my eyes do not keep your law perfectly. My eyes do not keep your law perfectly. That's what he means. Therefore, he cries and cries and cries. Tell me, when was the last time we cried like this when we thought about our sins? Even our current sins. When was the last time we wept and bawled over our sins? That's rare. But we should. The sins that are persisting in our life, we should weep over them. We should weep and cry because we're not keeping God's love perfectly. We don't honor Him. We are hypocrites. We live a life that is wrong and deceitful. 
before God and before men. Therefore, we ought to cry out to God and say, just like the tax collector in Luke 18, 9 to 14. He was unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. We would have done that upon our conversion. When we've heard the gospel and believed that gospel, we would have cried like this. And that's good. And that's well. That's the way it should be. However, what about during our Christian life? This is during David's life. During his Christian life. He's saying, My eyes shed streams of water because they do not keep your law. This is how much David absolutely detested and loathed all of his sins. It takes this for us to reject our sins. People these days do not look at sin as a detestable thing. They do not look at it as something that's hateful, something that's repugnant before God Almighty. They don't look at it that way. That's why it never drives them to cry over their sins so that they have nothing to do with it anymore. They throw it over the cliff. They don't want to do that. They want to hold on to it so they never cry. Let's recover this. Not, not in hypocrisy, not in show or anything like that. In the privacy of your own home, in your own bedroom, cry to God over sin, over the sins that persist, over the sins that you know are sins that must be rejected. A true believer will have this kind of soft and tender heart so that he cries out to God like this. Yes, we should long for the Word of God. Word of God because it teaches us about God to conform to the image of Christ. This is the way of the Christian life. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Let's be that way. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen. Father, give us this heart. Give us the heart of your servant David, that it might be in us. Give us a longing for your commandments. Give us a longing to know you, to have true understanding of you and the gospel of Christ. And whenever we do fail, Lord, whenever we do fail, may we consider our sins absolutely repugnant. May we desire to overcome them and may we weep over them and beg for your mercy, beg for your grace, beg for your face to shine, up, shine upon us pleasantly, uh, pleasantly and happily. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.